Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. like to once again welcome our live stream folks. And go call somebody. Get them on the line. Get them watching with you or have them watch it later on. This is very, very important. Have you ever been uh, an, an individual who has walked into a conversation and you honestly did not have the foggiest idea what the other two individuals were talking about? Raise your hands. All right. You'd like someone to give you a scorecard. You'd like someone to help you, bring you up to speed. Uh, how many of you are effective at covering the fact you absolutely know nothing about what they're talking? Raise your hands. All right. That is a skill. That is a skill. That's an ability. Show that you look interested. But when it comes to your life and mine, when it comes to our eternity, when it comes to our eternal purpose here and now, we want to get it. We want to know what it is that the Lord is saying. And so we have this song that we've just sung, Open My Eyes That I May See. We need to ask the Lord to do that. I recall back in the 1970s hearing for the first time some of the music that was coming out of the West Coast, uh, the movement of Christianity that was then developing, uh, also produced a number of wonderful praise songs. And I remember the one that uh, the Bob Cole wrote, uh, Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch Him and say that we love Him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Uh, open our eyes, Lord, that we, uh, we want to see Jesus. All right, so our eyes, our ears covering Two-thirds of what the, the hymn writer Clara Scott wrote about back in the 1800s, we get in this praise song. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That means that Peter was writing to people that were going through problems. So that's very pertinent. It's timely for us. He then speaks of the trial of your faith, a personal trial that we go through as we stand up for Jesus and live for Him. Uh, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So persecution difficulties that we trust the Lord to bring us through by His grace are like the purification of gold, getting all the impurities taken out. That's what we're going through. We find ourselves in these times. Whom having not seen, speaking of Jesus... And I remember uh, Dr. Tozer talking about these strange folks called Christians. How many do we have tonight here and online? Strange folks called Christians. Come on, raise your hands. You're one of those strange folks known as Christians. While we pray to talk about worship and obey somebody we've never seen. Come on now, if that's not strange, I don't know what is. We are strange folks as far as as the world is concerned, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing. We're believing in him. That's the process of believing. That's a day-by-day -day constant believing in. That's faith, producing faithfulness. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's how people who are suffering can be rejoicing all the time. So I just don't understand how so-and-so can be rejoicing. They're going through the, the midst of difficulties. They're in the fire while they're being purified, folks. And who wouldn't? rather be purified. I mean, the end result is desirable, isn't it? It's better than having all those impurities in us. And then it says, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So Bob Cole wrote a great song in the 1970s. He was preceded by uh, Clara Scott, who wrote the hymn we sang tonight. 
But I want to really, really, really go back. Some of you know the old Irish hymn, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart, Not Be All Else to Me Save That Thou Art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. The old traditional Irish hymn goes back several centuries. And this comes as a result of our learning the secret to make much of Jesus. Everything ought to be about Jesus. When I'm speaking tonight, uh, you ought to be thinking about Jesus. When you go home tonight, you ought to think and talk about Jesus. And uh, when you are pillowing your head, you ought to think about Jesus. The last thought at night, the first thought in the morning, all day long in between times, we should be in a spirit and attitude of praying, praying without ceasing in a sense, meditating on the things of God, chewing on the spiritual things. Our goal is to think on Jesus. When I think about the Mount of Transfiguration, we find it in the Gospels, but in Matthew's account in the 17th chapter, after all of that, you talk about fireworks going on up there, the glorification of Jesus Christ, the little preview of what He's going to look like in the millennium. And then when they opened their eyes, when they lifted up their eyes, Peter, James, and John, it says, they saw no man save Jesus only. That's it. That's the secret. The secret of a successful Christian life that correctly applies the truth, such as I'm teaching tonight, such as you read in your devotions, such as you heard this morning. Wasn't it great this morning uh, after... Uh, that fellow finished singing uh, Some Glad Morning, When This Life Is Over, I'll Fly Away. And then, then you saw that refreshing young face of Tyler as he spoke from Job and taught us so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. What, uh, what do we do with the truth? We need to put it into practice. We need to apply it. You can memorize every word of this book. I was reading a message by J. Frank Norris today. And he got halfway through the message and the stenographer was taking it down word for word. And he said, we've come to such a chapter. He said, I know many chapters of the Bible and I quote them. I wish I knew this one so I could quote it to you. We need to be so familiar with the Word of God that we can quote it. But what do you do beyond quoting it? We need to live it. We need to live it out. Before we can ever live it out, we must receive something from God that we've been singing about. In order to get it, we need to receive from the Lord what the Bible describes as enlightenment or illumination. Enlightenment or illumination. You say, well, preacher, this sounds a little cultic. You know, the people that come along and they say, I got something new that's never been seen in the history of Christianity. What you do is you get up and you move away from that person as far as you can because lightning is, is going to strike any second. There is nothing new in that respect. But as far as our application of the truth, in order for us to correctly apply the truth, we have to have illumination from God. It's a grace that's given us. It's something God does for you and does for me. And I want to read about it today as we continue in Ephesians chapter 1. That's where our scripture is found. Won't you go there with me, please? Ephesians chapter 1. What I'm talking about is not spooky. It's not uh, 
charismatic, it is fundamentalist, it is independent Baptist, it is Bible-believing, it is rightly dividing the word of truth, but we have left it out because we are afraid of being branded all those things I just gave in my disclaimer. People are afraid of being called Pentecostal, they get excited about Jesus. People are afraid of being called uh, a cult if they say, the Lord spoke to my heart. Well, He will speak to your heart through the Word. And as the Holy Spirit gives us illumination, we're going to get what God wants us to get. All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm glad you're here tonight because I want you to get it. I'm glad you're watching, viewing this telecast. You're going to get something tonight. Ephesians 1, we're going to begin at verse 15 where Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, a very mature church, and he says, wherefore. Now, whenever you see wherefore or therefore, look and see what it's there for. All right, so we have wherefore based upon the previous 14 verses that we have already read. We've already, we've already uh, uh, studied the first 14. Now we're at verse 15. Wherefore, based on the first 14 verses, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Here it is, verse 18 that the eyes of your understanding, didn't know that your understanding had eyes, but that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that she may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I want you to, to take this in now. Let's pray. Father, fill me with the Holy Ghost. I pray that you will also anoint the ears and the understanding of those who are taking this in tonight Help them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go back for a second. He is saying, consistent with the context of the first 14 verses, because they have been called with a, a, a high, holy, heavenly, eternal calling, and they have a purpose in God's uh, everlasting plan. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This gives us an insight, a little slice of, of clarity when it comes to the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. And he was all the time praying for and thanking God for one group or, or one individual or another. Have you noticed that? Philippians, same thing, same story. Go through the... 13 books that we have Paul's name assigned to and, and see if that's not the case. Paul is always praying and thanking God for others. Now let's do a little checkup here. Did you pray today? Did you spend what? One, two, five, ten minutes in prayer. In your prayer, did you reserve any time to thank God for other believers? For people who have been and encouragement for people who've done something for you. Every single day, many times a day, I thank God for that lady right over there. For you on YouTube and Facebook, I'm pointing at my wife right now. I thank God for her. She takes good care of this preacher. The reason I am going to live so long, not only my genetic longevity, but also 
the great meals she fixes for me and the way she takes care of me, has a cup of coffee waiting for me, always saying, what can I do for you? She takes good care of me. Now that's, listen, you say, I want that. Well, to have that, it's got to be a gift from God, number one. Number two, you've know, you got to realize you're not deserving of it. Guys, you don't deserve that. And ladies, you're wonderful, but you don't deserve it either. None of us deserve that sort of thing, but if you want that sort of thing, First of all, realize that it's from God, it's undeserved, it's by grace, and then this is really important. One way to have that is to be that. And i got to say, I've, I fail in every way, but I'm glad I've got that. I've got her. I've got people in my life. I thank God every day for my church. You say, even with the challenges, even with the phone calls in the middle of the night, even with the problems, even with the prayer requests, almost 24-7 prayer requests coming in here and around the world. Yes, I thank God. You know, I'm never going to have to worry about being uh, out of a job because I will always have uh, this wonderful privilege of, of being burdened or being, being uh, in a position of trying to help others that need spiritual help. So that's a good thing. If you find a, a ministry of helps, you find a ministry of trying to do for others, you'll never run out of things to do. You'll never run out of business. So if you say, well, boy, am I bored. I was reading the other day, a fellow said uh, whenever he feels boredom setting in, here's what he likes to do. Now that he's retired, he gets in his car, he drives down to the busiest part of town, and he just waits until a really great parking spot opens up. So he's circling and circling and circling, waits for a great parking spot to open up. Then he pulls in there and stays in his car and he counts the people who come up to his window and say, are you planning to move? You know, are you planning to, are you planning to leave? I need a good parking spot. He's, uh, he's found an answer for boredom. Now, that may not work for you. But I'll tell you what, if you're serving the king of kings and you're serving the kingdom, you'll never run out of stuff to do. You'll always be busy. Praise the Lord. All right. Paul is thanking God for the people in his life. Did you pray today? Did you spend any of that time thanking God for what we often take for granted? What would it be like to be alone? What would it be like to have nobody in your life? Well, think about it. Jesus was alone. Paul was often alone. They were often uh, abandoned. But thank God, the next time you got kids or grandkids running across your feet and they're all over the place and they're making noise, whatever, you just thank God that you got somebody making noise, that you got somebody doing that, somebody you can do for. Praise the Lord. Amen. Come on now. Amen. That's about as enthusiastic as the response that I got in Sunday school this past week when I told the kids here and out there viewing how they ought to thank their parents for the chores that they've gotten because this is going to keep them from becoming a bum or a criminal and uh, they're, they're learning something productive in life. So I want to thank you for, I think I heard about one amen and three or four holy grunts and that was it on what I just said. You ought to thank God for the people in your life. Come on now. All right. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is believing what or who, what the Lord says or who the Lord is. Believing in Him, believing what He has said. That's faith. Taking God at His word. And every great giant, every great hero of the faith took God at His word. Have you ever thought about that? Each individual mentioned in the Bible may have had a differing amount 
of revelation. They might not have known as much as we know today because we've got the whole Bible. But on the basis of what they had, they believed God and God blessed them based upon what they had available to them. Do you know that we come from a wonderful line of believers going back to the Lord Jesus Christ? And they dwelt in caves and in the mountains and they were persecuted and hunted and they were fed to lions and they were killed for their faith many, many times during dark ages. Those who are our spiritual ancestors, our spiritual forefathers, the Anabaptists, and all the different groups that bore different names, but they believe what we believe. These were Bible believers. Some of them had a portion of one book of the Bible that they shared among themselves. And yet, because they believed what they had and they lived by that, God blessed them and they, they won a wonderful crown and they'll cast that at Jesus' feet. All right, faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, not just the ones that you have things in common with, but all the saints, everybody that's been saved. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So this is something that we need to think about. If we're going to be on the right track as believers, then we have got to thank him regularly for the people that he's placed in our life. I read a message, uh, oh, must be 30 years ago now, by one of my mentors who's in heaven. And his message was entitled, Thank God for my enemies. Thank God. I thank God for my enemies. And he had reasons why he thanked God for his enemies. I guess maybe because it was like steel on steel, you know, iron on iron, uh, sharpening his edge, and so on and so forth. But just think about it. Think about it. It was Bob Jones Sr., the evangelist, who said, A man is known by his friends and by his enemies. So we are identified or categorized by those who may be our enemies. We ought to be thanking God for the people in our life. God has put us here among people. Not to, not to think about how we can be so isolated. There are people at times such as we find ourselves in now who are thinking about how they can get away from people, how they can isolate themselves from people. They go off and live someplace in the wilderness and so on and so forth. Well, if God has called you to the wilderness, then He's called you out there to be a witness to the deer and the squirrels and the snakes and the rabbits. And if that's the case, then you go on out there in the wilderness. But otherwise, God has dropped us in the middle of one of the most diverse populations on the planet. And this is for the reason of reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I enjoy every single day crossing paths with people, all different kinds of people from all different kinds of backgrounds, and getting to know them and talking about them. And, uh, you know, if I speak to somebody who's serving us and they're from some place in Africa or Asia or, or some place that I'm not familiar with, I thank God for the opportunity to cross their paths and, and share Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Amen. All right. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The way we get this, of course, is from the Holy Spirit. I had the privilege of making the acquaintance of Dr. Jerry Falwell Sr. when he was alive, and he did, uh, over the phone, invite me to come and speak at his super conference uh, many, many years ago now. But he wrote back in the 1970s this on this passage of Scripture. Believers have great wealth in Christ. Paul continues to ask that the believer's understanding might be enhanced by having the eyes of their understanding enlightened. Spiritual perception, get this now, 
is the work of God in the believer, not something the believer can do in his own strength. Just as Jesus opened the physical eyes of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, we must have the Holy Spirit enlighten our spiritual vision of God. Now, this is not the same as the cults. For, exa for example, uh, uh, Ellen White, who founded uh, the Seventh-day Adventists. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, she was reading her Bible and she said a bright light, a physical light, shined around, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so she knew that God was leading her to start a new group that would worship on Saturday. And that's not what enlighten or illumination is in the Bible. It is not a physical light like a halogen light shining on your Bible and making it glow so that you know that this is God's way of saying you need to emphasize that. No, it's the eyes of your understanding, not the page of your Bible. It's the eyes of your understanding. So after you've been preached to or taught or had your devotions and you're chewing on it, you're meditating on it because we're supposed to think and meditate on these things, right? We're supposed to think on the good things. As we're doing that, and as we're rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15, as we're taking everything in its proper context, and as we're mulling it over, and as we're thinking about it, and we're seeking direction from the Lord, the eyes of our understanding all of a sudden have an oh moment. Like the light bulb goes on. And we get what God wants us to do. Not some new, never before, ever in the world, history of the world, interpretation, but what we, what I, right now, me, with my, my social security number and with my address and my phone number, me, I'm talking about me and I'm talking about you personally. God has a plan for you to apply the scripture that you've heard preached or the scripture you've heard taught or the scripture that you've studied in your devotions. God has something for you. This is called enlighten or illumination. That's when you get it for you to apply, for you to live the, the way God wants you to. But the fall goes on. As he works in our lives, we come to know more fully, quote, what is the hope of his calling? Verse 18. Our calling to be saved in Christ certainly carries with it a tremendous hope and expectation for the future. This hope includes a great inheritance. God is the author of our inheritance, which is richer than any fortune ever passed down by the wealthiest king on earth. Our inheritance is to rule and reign with Christ and to enjoy Him forever. No Howard Hughes or Rockefeller ever left an inheritance like that. Thank you, Brother Falwell. And I'll thank you in person when I get to heaven. And I see you there at Jesus' feet and we rejoice around the throne. What a great, great thought. Now another one of my heroes I never had the chance to ever, ever meet was none other than Charles Finney. And he was a great revivalist in the early 1800s to the mid-1800s. And uh, God did a wonderful work. Here's what he says under the title, Saving Impressions. The apostles and believers on the day of Pentecost received it. What did they receive? What power did they exercise? They received the divine illumination. This baptism imparted a great diversity of gifts that were used for the accomplishment of their work. It clearly included many outward things, the power of a holy life, the power of a self-sacrificing life, 
The manifestation of these must have greatly influenced those to whom they proclaim the gospel. The power of a cross-bearing life. The power of great meekness, which uh, this enabled them everywhere to exhibit. The power of loving enthusiasm in proclaiming the gospel. The power of teaching. The power of a loving and living faith. And so on and so forth. He talks about the miracles. And what they received was manifested through them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now back in verse 17, before verse 18, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. We see at work the Trinity, the triune God. There's one God, but we have three persons in the Trinity. I can't understand it, but I accept it. I believe it. And the way this works out practically is... As they work together, think about it. This is so important to the triune God. The God the Father and God the Son, working through God the Holy Spirit, illuminating the truth, we're able to apply it so that we can realize our gift and calling, our hope, our expectation, the outworking of what God is providing, His provision, His enablements. We can understand how that can be applied and lived out so let, like on the day of Pentecost, people see a difference and people themselves are affected for eternity. Amen. I'm not here for me. You're not here for you. We are here to do the Father's will. We are here that God might work in us and so He illuminates us. He enlightens the eyes of our understanding to things that are of eternal importance. This is a growing thing, obviously. It's not something that you're automatically going to have 100% grasp of right away. But as we yield to God, it is going to come to full fruition. It's going to flower like a beautiful plant and be seen. And the aroma is going to be enjoyed. And uh, all of it's going to be experienced by those who see our life. It's going to be for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not a catechism guy. I'm not even a creed guy. I, I, am, uh, I am a Bible believer in simplicity, so forgive me. But the Westminster Shorter Catechism that's often referred to, even by Bible-believing preachers on, on uh, uh, programs on television and so forth, goes something like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, that is our purpose. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Let's, let's start with part two. Are you enjoying the Lord? You should have a head start on eternity because from the moment you became a member of the family of God by the new birth, you and I should be enjoying the Lord. Well, the first thing I enjoyed when I got saved was I wasn't going to hell. I wasn't going to have to burn. I enjoyed that realization, but then that's not enough. There's much, much more to be realized. I need what? I need to grow up. I need to mature. There needs to be an expanding, an enlightening, an illumination. And you say, well, I'm waiting. I've been standing down here on the street corner, been uh, watching my watch and waiting for the Lord to zap me with more illumination. You know how you get more illumination? Not on the street corner. Checking out your watch. Saying, come on, Lord, zap me. The Lord doesn't zap anybody. I'll tell you how it happens. When you and I exercise the discipline of caring enough about this Bible, this Bible that cost the lives of so many people to give it to us, 
When you value this book enough to get into it at least a few minutes a day, the Holy Spirit of God smiles on us and says, I'm going to give this person a light bulb moment. Click. And all of a sudden, we understand how it fits and works, at least in a certain situation for us. Good. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to stand up here and try to sell you on something that I've experienced. I want to stand up here and tell you this is something you should be experiencing. And if you're not, you're missing out because it's here in the Word of God. Secondly, that also means there are some things you should be getting that you're not getting. I don't get it. I was standing there, they were talking about such and so, and I had no idea. I just had to look like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and laugh in the right places. You ever do that? Okay, don't laugh in the wrong place. If you don't get the joke, wait until you're sure they're done with the punchline, okay? And the same thing is true when it comes to the Christian life. There are many things that God wants us to get by the Holy Spirit. We know the truth. Jesus said it. And the truth does what? Sets us free. Some people have been laboring under the weight or the burden of some misconception or wrong perception. And when they get the truth, remember, the truth is absolute. So whatever you're getting illumination about, it's not new and you didn't make it up and you didn't have anything to do with the getting it. It came by grace. But it is absolute truth. It's in the book. It's absolutely true. I'm not talking about some secret code between the lines, under the surface, something, you know, that you can magically get. If you mix enough things together, two parts of this and three parts of that and four parts of this doctrine and, and, and so on and so forth, all of a sudden, boom, you get it. Like there's some kind of magical formula. It doesn't work that way. It comes by the simple, consistent discipline of opening up the Bible and our saying with the psalmist. Here it is. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's it. There's some hard-nosed Baptist out there right now, and I want you to know my nose is harder than your nose. But there's some hard-nosed Baptist out there right now who's saying, nope, you're talking about something that's too spooky for me to take in. Then you've been missing a lot of wonderful spiritual opportunities along the way. And I feel badly for you, but you know what? You can get over it. You can repent of it. You can say, open mine eyes. Open mine eyes. God shows us the truth. God shows us what to do. God shows us how to do it. And God shows us, remember the second part? How to enjoy Him while we're doing that. That's it. The chief end of man, main purpose for being here on this planet, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, for eternity. So, why haven't we been enjoying Him? Drudgery, duty, I don't know, maybe it's how you look at things. Maybe you're locked in and you don't want the Lord to illuminate. You don't want the Holy Spirit to graciously turn the light bulb on so you can know how to apply that truth. 
We sing a chorus, and, and this is more related to how we feel about the Lord, but it's all related. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. Now stop for just a moment. Wasn't He always just as sweet? Wasn't, wasn't He always just as sweet? Yes, He was. So who changed? He didn't. We did. Who warmed up? God's always been warm, fervent. We're the cold ones. We're the ones that need to warm up. We're the ones that need to yield to God. I'm talking about experience, Christian experience, absolute truth. I'm talking about what's in the Bible, but I'm also talking about a lot of folks that are so frozen in their profession. I mean, they, how can I say this? They've been going so long, they've been part of this thing so long that they've gotten so used to it, they're just locked in and there's, there's no new illumination. There is no light bulb going on for them. The end of this, enjoying the trip, there's joy in the journey. There is. Anybody who knows me, you know I've got my trials. Come on. You know I've been through it. You know I get, every once in a while I get beat up, spiritually and otherwise. But I want you to know this. I enjoy my journey. And the fruitfulness that results when we open ourselves up to the Lord, guiding us through the Word. I'm not talking about an extra-biblical, extra-sensory kind of, you know, I feel good. That's shallow. That's, in some cases, it's dangerous. So you want to be careful. But I'm talking about in the Word of God, enjoying the good things of God, enjoying the good things of being saved, enjoying salvation, enjoying the freedom that we have in Christ, enjoying the fellowship that we have with the saints, enjoying service. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus. We sing that. But I don't know that we experience it or that we really believe it. There is joy. This spirit of revelation, the spirit of, of revealing the truth through the Word of God comes when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the what? Hungry and thirsty in spirit, for they shall be fed. They'll be satisfied. They'll, they'll get what their spirit is craving, desiring. Have we gotten to the craving state yet? Have we gotten to the craving state? Craving can be a good thing when it comes to the spiritual life of the believer. I don't want to stand on the outside looking in. I don't want to see God blessing everybody else. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not a spoiled sport, and I'm not upset, and I don't want to take anybody's experience from them. But when I see someone getting blessed, you know what I'm thinking inside of me? I want to get blessed too. I don't want to take their blessing, but I want to get blessed too. When I see somebody enjoying Jesus, I don't want to take their enjoyment of Jesus away from them, but I want to enjoy Jesus too. I want to enjoy walking by faith, living by faith. I mean, living according to the Word of God, living depending upon the Lord, living in the truth. That's what I want. I see somebody else going through that. I say, I want that too. I desire that too. And there's no reason why we can't have that. It is God's will. We have been predestined, as it says in Romans 8, to be conformed to the image of His Son. 
I want to ask you a question. Would Jesus Christ, who experienced what every one of us will ever experience, would Jesus Christ be satisfied Himself with the level of enjoyment in life, with the level of fulfillment that you and I have settled for? Or would He say, there's more. There's more. There's more. You ever eat something really, really good and you were still hungry and there wasn't any more? I got to tell you, with the things of God, there's always more. Pull up to the table. There's always more. Won't you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed. Every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, that message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. That message spoke to my heart. Absolutely. Amen. I want you to come when the invitation is given and find your place down here and have a word of prayer or pray where you are. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now? Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer, slip your hand up. Anyone at all? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing together.